return of the midweeks. Hello friends, we're back at the midweeks, and we're looking at the book of Samuel again. We're going to be in chapter 10, and this is where Samuel prophesies that um, Saul is the king. He's going to anoint him with oil and give him some prophetic words about events that are going to happen really soon in his life, where God's going to prove to Saul that he has chosen him to be king. This is a really important chapter in the book of Samuel. Remember, one of the things we're looking at is the establishment of the kingdom. This is how where the kingdom of Israel is turned from the tribes of Israel to the kingdom of Israel, and how does God do that? And what he's going to prove here is that the kingship, even though it's wanted for the wrong reasons by the people, God is still going to start the kingship in a supernatural way. He's going to be involved in it with his Holy Spirit and with his prophetic word over one of the people of Israel to be king. But what we're also going to see here is that um, there's this question about what Samuel means when he says you're going to be made into a new man. And knowing that Saul's trajectory isn't great and he doesn't end well, what does it mean to be a new man there? Um, And then also we're going to see that Saul, even though God fulfills the words that he gives to him through Samuel, he doesn't totally um, embrace it with faith right away. And that's the big question, right? Acts of faith. Are we believing God? Are we acting in faith? Or are we acting in unbelief? And Saul is semi going to respond with unbelief to what this happens here. Partially faith, partially unbelief. But let's just read this together. We're in chapter 10. And first Samuel's going to give this long prophecy description of what's going to happen. And anytime there's a long speech um, in the Old Testament, it's important. Usually the Old Testament can summarize what somebody's saying in one or two sentences if they want to. So when they take the, when it takes its time, it's really important. And you're going to want to slow down, listen carefully to what the Bible is saying. But this is what Samuel says. And it says, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, that's Saul's head, and kissed him. That's a sign of honor and affection. This, the oil is anointing for kingship. The kiss is honor and affection. And he says, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people, Israel? When um, people in Hebrew wanted to make a really strong statement, they would often ask it as a rhetorical question. Hasn't God done this? And the answer is yes. And it's stronger than just saying God has done this. And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Yes, Saul does do this. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So it's not just depending on what Samuel says. It's also going to be proven by God's sovereignty and action over Saul's life as a way of building up his faith that God's with him. Okay, verse 2. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin excuse me, at Zelza, and they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Okay, so this is what uh, Saul was worried was going to happen yesterday, that his dad's going to start worrying about him instead of the donkeys, but now they've been found, which is a good sign that the donkey whole donkey episode was just the hand of God. Um, as soon as Saul was found, the donkeys have also been found. Verse 3, then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread 
which you shall accept from their hand. Okay, remember, this whole story started with Eli and his family and the troubles with the offerings, okay? They were taking God's portion of the offerings. Now, it's interesting because the next thing Samuel says is going to happen to Saul is he's going to be going along to a further destination, and he's going to meet worshipers, going to people going to worship the Lord, and they're going to share with Saul some of what they're bringing along for worship. This time, Samuel commands Saul, accept the bread. Not the goats, but the bread. And so there is this honoring, there's this God sharing his his honor, sharing his glory with Saul through this. We see that, but this is a prophecy from God. So Samuel is told to, sorry, Saul is told to receive part of what these people are bringing up to celebrate God with. Verse 5, and that you shall come, sorry, and after that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into a new man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hands finds to do, for God is with you. Okay, so here's the last portion of it. He's going to go to the place where the Philistine garrison is. And then he's going to meet some prophets who are going to prophesy. And the Spirit's going to rush upon him. And he'll prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So this is this part where the kingship is being described as being launched as um, something created by God with the donkeys. Something under God's provision and blessing with uh, shared offerings. And now something under the Spirit of God that Saul is only going to experience the Spirit and the impelling of the Spirit amongst the prophets of God. And so it's almost like lifting the kingship up into this semi-prophetic role that he's going to get a transformed heart. He's going to become a new man through the Spirit moving upon him. Now, in verse 7, it says, when this is all, all these signs happen, do what your hand finds to do. And some people think that what Samuel is saying here is, go fight the Philistines. Do what your hand finds to do. Oh, you're in the city with the Philistines. The Spirit of God is upon you. Usually when the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon somebody in the book of Judges, that's the sign that they're giving, they've been given impulse and power to fight God's battles. And then usually they go into battle and they get victory. And so some commentators say, This is Samuel's way of saying, once the Holy Spirit comes upon you and makes you a new man, go and start a fight with those Philistines and win because God is with you. And then we'll see what happens. Verse 8, then go down before me to Gilgal and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Okay, so there's the end of the prophecy. When he turned back to leave Samuel, that's Saul, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. Now, that's interesting. He says, as soon as Saul went to go, that's when he got his new heart. Now, in the prophecy, it's when the Spirit comes with the prophets that Saul's going to be made a new man. So, there's some stuff going on here, but maybe it's just this, what does it mean to be given a new heart here? Is this like a kind of being born again? I don't know. Or does it mean it's um, Saul's beginning to believe that this is true. He's got this new heart of faith being grown in him. Not entirely sure, but um, important enough to talk about. And all these signs came to pass that day. That's verse 9. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied amongst them. Now, I want to talk about just 
here for a second, talk about the difference between blanks and gaps. Um, Old Testament scholars talk about the difference between blanks and gaps. So blanks is when a story doesn't tell you information because it's not that important. Gaps are where a story doesn't tell you information, but it is important. And you're supposed to think, why am I not getting this information? Maybe it will tell me the information later. And you're supposed to go back and go, oh, I didn't know that later. So blanks are not important information missing that you could want to know. Gaps are important information missing on purpose in the moment that are there to make you think. And you can notice here that there's a blank. I don't think it's a gap. I think it's a blank on the first couple of stages of the prophecy being fulfilled. It says these things came to pass, but it doesn't mention Saul meeting the guy about the donkeys. It doesn't mention him getting the loaves. It goes straight to the prophesying to actually describe the fulfilling happening, which kind of emphasizes that this is the most important part, but it doesn't mean that the other stuff didn't happen. I think it's just getting blanked. It's not important to relay that data. It's summarized by saying that it was fulfilled, but it doesn't need to go be gone into details like the Spirit of God coming upon him does. Verse 11, and when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also amongst the prophets? And a man of the place answered, and who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. So this moment where Saul begins to prophesy becomes this byword amongst the people, becomes a a, a a proverb where people would say that when they see something shocking and unexpected and out of the blue, oh man, that's crazy. Look, there's a goat with 10 heads. Is Saul also amongst the prophets? You know, they've, they've brought this out as a sign of a radical unexpected change in events in somebody, but it's all because um, Saul, who was this kind of quieter guy, not a prophet, suddenly has been given a new heart and is moving amongst the prophets. And so this moment of a proverb being coined is explaining why people say that, but also weaving it together with remembering what God did. Now, a proverb later on in this story is going to really bug Saul. Later on, people are going to have this song where they sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And and Saul's going to hear that song, that proverb, and he's going to be really bothered by it because his pride is going to be wounded by it. But here his kingship is starting with a proverb, and it's not a bad one. And somebody said, who is their father? And that's a bit mysterious what that means, I'm not sure. But I think it's a reminder that the father of the prophets is actually either Samuel or God when they do this thing. I'm not sure if Samuel was the head of the prophets during this generation, or if they're just saying that God is the father of the prophets. But either way, it's this reminder that God is doing something with Saul here. This isn't him just being crazy. It's an unexpected turn of events from the Lord, and it formed this um, proverb. Verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him and to his servants, where did you go? And he said to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now, this is going to be the last section we read, but this is where things go a little bit wonky for Saul, because the point of the prophecies that Samuel gave at the beginning of this chapter was that it would convince Saul that God was with him, that he is the prince over Israel, and that God is um, empowering him to 
rescue the people of Israel from the hand of their enemies. And we have this section here where the uncle says, okay, so what did Samuel say to you? And Saul conceals it. Even though the prophecies were fulfilled, he should have said, he said that I was going to be a prince over Israel and all these signs came place, came true. And then he probably should have gone and picked a fight with the Philistines there and done, quote, what his hand finds to do, but he doesn't quite do it. He prophesies, he gets like 70% of the way into faith here, but there's some stuff missing, which is, you know, the early cracks in Saul's reign here that will ultimately reveal real unbelief and Saul attacking David and dying so badly after seeking out a witch. Um, so mixed motives, mixed character, half belief, half kind of unbelief, but we're seeing the beginnings of the kingship. The ideal king is a spirit-filled man who fights the battles of God's people and gives them deliverance and victory. And David next is going to do a better job of this. He's even more spirit-filled. He's going to be the psalmist. He's going to write scripture. He's going to be the one who really fights for, for God's people. He's going to be the most you know effective fighting machine in Israelite history. But even he'll fail. And ultimately, this beginning of the kingship is pointing towards Jesus Christ, who is the true prophet king, who really does both fulfill God's word as well as speak the words of God as a prophet, and comes to defeat the enemies of God and to deliver true Israel. And he defeated them, not with a sword, but the sword of his mouth, and not by shedding blood besides his own, which was shed on the cross to deliver his people from their sin and from the power of the devil and his accusations. And so this beginning of the kingdom, even though the people wanted it for the wrong reason, God starts it off prophetically, starts it off well. He starts off in a way that is actually foreshadowing the coming of Christ through the initiation of the kingdom. All right, that's all we're going to do today. Be blessed. Enjoy your day in the Lord. I hope that you're growing in your faith, and I hope as we go through Samuel, we'll see um, how God invites all of us to be humble about our own mixed heart, as well as to lift up our eyes to a God who deals with his people by grace and faith, and who has provided the ultimate king to be our true prophetic savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.